Hello, you're listening to the podcast of Bay Ridge Christian Church. Each Sunday, our aim is to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ from the text of the Bible and to catalyze the hearts of our hearers to love and gratitude towards God and all of His creation. We hope you enjoy this teaching, and we pray that you will be encouraged to trust in Jesus today. Today, we're going to be looking at God's penetrating word from Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. They'll be up here on the screen, and if you have the uh, discussion guide, uh, they're actually put in there. I'm, I'm actually using the English Standard Version today. Uh, it, it follows a little bit more closely with some of the stuff in the Greek text than the NIV, so I'm going to use it uh, just for doing it. If I get some wrong words, that's because I have this memorized in the NIV, so I might slip. You might get a little English International Standard Version this morning. Uh, but we'll be looking at Hebrews 4, 12, and 13. So hear now the word of the living God. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. When I uh, first got out of the Marine Corps, moved back here, I got a job. And the job had me being a contractor for NSA. And one of the things we had to do to get the job was you had to go through a polygraph. And a polygraph is an unusual experience because you go in and they put all these things on your fingers and they hook you up there's a thing checking your breathing and you have this weird sensation that this person is peering into the depths of your mind and your soul and trying to uncover your very hidden thoughts and all it's actually doing is measuring how much your hands are sweating which in my case is always a lot how much your heart's going, what your breathing is doing, and based on that, they're determining whether you seem to be telling the truth or lying. I'm not sure how accurate it was because at one point, I was failing the questions about whether I was manufacturing drugs, selling them across state lines. Linda was actually digging around our house looking for them because it took me three times the first time to get through the polygraph. And in fact, when I had my five-year re-up, I came back and my boss asked me, so how did it go? Because I had not been looking forward to it. And that one was just on espionage. And I said, not well. You should be finding another database administrator because I thought there were going to be guys with guns waiting when I came back into the building. (laughs) Turned out I was okay. But it's a daunting prospect when somebody is measuring you and telling you whether they think you're lying or not. And We're looking at a text today that tells us God's Word does that for us. But unlike a polygraph, I'm not sure how accurate they are. God's Word is always accurate. And it does uncover our most hidden thoughts, intentions, desires, and exposes them. And so we're going to look a little bit at some attributes and actions of God and His Word. Now, I'm going to start by actually going to verse 13 and look at what it's telling us about who God is, and then we'll come back and look at how the Word plays into that. And it tells us that we are naked and exposed before God, is the the two words here. Now, it begins by telling us, notice in verse 13, that God sees everything as it really is. He tells us, no creature is hidden from His sight. The NIV says nothing in all creation, and it could, it could be either way, but the idea is that everything that has been created, God knows. Nothing is hidden from God's sight. No creature. Everything is naked and exposed before God. Now, this is the doctrine that is sometimes called the omniscience of God, coming from the Latin term, meaning that God knows everything. But it's important for us to understand, I'm going to come back to this point a couple times, God does not know things the way you and I do. We know things by observing, studying, learning, memorizing, and we come to know something. God knows all things 
immediately. He's not acquiring new knowledge. He knows everything in the universe immediately just by virtue of the fact that he is God. First thing is the breadth of his knowledge. There is nothing that exists that has ever existed that could ever exist that God does not know. Nothing in all creation is hidden from the piercing gaze of God. Now secondly, the writer tells us that God's knowledge is not only a breadth of knowledge, but it's a depth of knowledge. That God knows everything about everything. So notice the way he describes this. He's, he uses two descriptors that we are all naked and we are exposed. The, the Greek word for naked is the word gumna, from which we get gym, gymnasium, gymnastics, and that's because in the ancient world, the Greeks did all of that actually naked. The wrestlers were all naked when they wrestled. And so it came from this word. And it's, it, that's how it was used in Greece. But interestingly, the very first time, this word's used a lot in both the New Testament and in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And the very first two times it's used is Adam and Eve were naked. And they were okay with that in Genesis 2. And then after sin in Genesis 3, their eyes are opened and they realize they are naked. Same word. And what do they immediately try to do? Cover themselves. They try to hide. Remember, they, they make fig leaf coverings and then they try to hide in the bushes. There is something that happens in Genesis chapter 3 that humans, rather than being naked and open before God, now realize that they are naked. They are ashamed of their nakedness and they are trying to cover themselves and they are trying to hide. But the writer to Hebrews tells us you cannot do that. Nothing is hidden from God and nothing is covered before God he sees through everything and as if that's not scary enough the second descriptor is that everything is exposed before God now this is an interesting word and it's uh, the the NIV uses the word laid bare it's a hard word to translate it's very rare it's, it's hardly used at all in the scripture and it was used in three different ways in ancient Greece. Number one, the basic idea of the word is to expose the neck. That's what it is. It was used of wrestlers when they wrestled and they got the guy's head pulled back and he would have to beg mercy because his neck was all exposed. It was also used when a priest took a sacrificial animal and pulled its neck back and exposed the neck right before they slit the throat. And thirdly, it was used of a surgeon who was going to pull a head back and expose the neck to cut in. Now, you can pick whichever metaphor you think the writer might be using here, but here's what's common to all of them. That you are naked and your neck is back, you are exposed, you are vulnerable. That's the real point. Whether you're a wrestler, whether you're a sacrifice, whether you are a patient, in any case, you are vulnerable vulnerable. See, the reason Adam and Eve immediately tried to cover themselves and hide is, in our state of sin, you and I do not like being vulnerable. I don't like the thought that anyone can see inside me, even God. But the writer here is telling us, it does not matter what you do. You are vulnerable before God. That's not a question. The question is how you will respond to that vulnerability. We try to fool ourselves to think we can get away from it, but we can't. This text is telling us God knows in a breath, he knows everything, and in depth, he knows everything about everything. And he does this immediately. He sees and knows every one of us, and he sees and knows everything about every one of us. You hide things from me and I hide things from you. We even hide things from ourselves. But you cannot hide anything 
from God. He alone knows all things, and he knows us fully and completely. And so try as we might, nothing can be hidden from his penetrating gaze. We may fool others, we may fool ourselves, but you will never for one second fool God. Now that is a vulnerable position. Now what this then brings up is he's building this off of verse 12. Because God's Word is a penetrating Word. But we're going to see God's Word uncovers and reveals. But it's important that we understand who, for whose benefit it's doing that. Because it's not doing it for God. God already knows. It's doing it for us. So notice in verse 12 we are told, For the Word of God is living and active. And he's going to describe it. Now, the question that should confront us immediately when you read this phrase, the Word of God, Is it talking about Jesus himself, or is it talking about the written word, the Scripture? Now, one could argue here, and in fact, some people do, that this is talking about Jesus. Because the entire book of Hebrews is about the supremacy of Jesus. It's showing in every possible way Jesus is greater. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than the priesthood. His covenant is greater. He's greater than the temple. It's showing everything about Jesus is greater. And in fact, in the very first three verses of Hebrews, it begins with the statement about Jesus being prophet, priest, and king. And it's making the statement that Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God. He is the exact representation of God's being. He is God's revelation. So one could argue that this is saying Jesus is this penetrating sharp sword. But I don't think that that's what it's actually talking about. The metaphor is a little bit off of what's usually used for Jesus. And there's actually a lot of reasons to believe it's talking about the Scripture here, the written Word of God. Now, why do I say that? First off, if you read the preceding section that starts back in Hebrews 3, the whole thing's about God's written Word speaking to us. It's not about Jesus directly. Uh, the preceding context is specifically God speaking through Scripture. I'm going to show in a few minutes, we're going to do it several times, Hebrews 3, 7, which is quoting Psalm 95, and it's saying, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. So the whole thing has been about the written Word of God speaking to us and giving a call to us. And so it's, this is the conclusion of a long section on hearing and receiving God's Word, and particularly God's Word of judgment. That God's Word is exposing something in us, and we are being called to properly respond to that exposing work of the Word of God. And then finally, the only other time the phrase, the Word of God, is used in the book of Hebrews is in Hebrews 13, 7, where it refers to people and says, remember your leaders who spoke God's word you were, who spoke the word of God to you. Now, they were not speaking Jesus to you. They were speaking and teaching the scripture to the people. And they're being told, remember those leaders who did that. And so for all these reasons, I really think this is talking about the scripture. The word of God that's in view here is the scripture. God's living, inspired, inerrant, penetrating, written revelation that God has given to humanity. Now, what is it telling us about the Scripture? If this is about the Scripture, what does it tell us about God's Word, the Scripture? Well, first, it tells us that God's Word is living. He uses a couple phrases up front, living and active. First, the Word of God is living. And there is huge emphasis on this. Greek is a little unusual. You can move words around. And by moving something way up front, you can say, this is what's really important, and I'm emphasizing it. The very first word in this Greek sentence is living. Before it tells you what else it's talking about, the very first word is what I'm talking about is alive. It is living. And so he wants us to know that the Word of God is a living word. It's not just Uh, words written on a page, it is actually God's living word that speaks to us now. We see the same thing. Peter actually tells us this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. 
when he's speaking to his audience, he says, You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. And then he goes on, interestingly, and quotes from Isaiah. He's clearly talking about the written scripture. But notice Peter, like the writer here, says this word is alive. It's not just like some other book. It is a living word, able to speak today. Hebrews does the same thing. I told you that this is part of a long section. The beginning of that section is in Hebrews chapter 3, and it says this in Hebrews 3, 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, now let's do a little grammar, what tense is the word says? Present. This is not as the Holy Spirit said. Now notice what he does is, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. That's Psalm 95. He's quoting a scripture that was written like a thousand years before, actually about an event that happened back in the wilderness wanderings. But the point that the writer is making is, look, God is speaking now. The Holy Spirit who spoke to them in the wilderness, and they ignored it, spoke to them again later in Psalm 95 about that, and they ignored it. And that same Holy Spirit is still speaking right now through that written word, don't ignore it. And in fact, he makes a big deal out of it because notice it's today. And he's going to keep bringing this up as long as it's today. Today the Holy Spirit is doing this. And the point that he wants us to see is the Word of God is always now. It's not just about something that happened then. It's not something in the past. God speaks through the written Word and He speaks now. The Holy Spirit is as actively speaking His Word now as He was when the writer to Hebrews wrote it, as He was when the psalm was written, as He was when they were in the wilderness. The same voice of the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. And so Scripture is not a dead book of old writings, but the living, current voice of God in the world today. Now it's important, you know, sometimes we have this argument going on in our culture right now about, you know, is the Constitution a living document? This is not living in that way. That's people who want to ignore what it meant to make it mean whatever they want it to mean today. You can't do that with the Scripture. There are people who want to do that with the Scripture as well. It means what it meant. But what it's telling us is this is not a dead document. This isn't something some guy wrote. It's just some old dusty book. This is the voice of God in the earth today. I remind you as I do periodically, I am trying to accurately teach the Word of God. But there is one time you know for certain God is speaking. And that's when we open the Bible and we read from its pages. That is the voice of God, alive, living, speaking directly to you. You cannot get a more direct hearing from God than opening the pages of Scripture. Everything else is subordinate to that. Everything else is judged by that. Everything else must flow from that. The Word of God is living. The second thing he tells us is the Word of God is active. This word is actually the word from which we get energy or our ideas of working, and it means that the Word of God is active and it is effective. So not only is the Scripture alive and that the Spirit is still speaking, but He is actually actively and effectively working through the Word of God. The Word is effective to bring about the will of God. There is no more powerful sound that can go out than the Word of God, than the Scripture coming forth and speaking. Isaiah speaks of this in Isaiah 55. I won't go through the whole passage, but at the end of it, he's spoken about how you know rain and snow can come down, and it's effective to cause the earth to bud and flourish and bring about fruit. 
So God ends in verse 11 and says, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God's word is active. It is effective. There is nothing more powerful. Look, if you don't know something to say to someone else, just quote Scripture. There is, no, there is no more powerful word. You're not going to figure out something that God's going to say, oh, that was really good. That's more effective than what I already said. It's not possible. What God has spoken is active. It is effective. If you notice in that verse Peter said a couple of minutes ago, you were dead in trespasses and sins. This is how active and effective it is. You were dead. And that word of God came to you and it made you born again. It brought you out of death into life. That's exactly what it did for me as well. That's the living, active, effective Word of God. And that's good and encouraging. Here's the oh my. That living, active, effective Word is particularly living, active, and effective to penetrate down to the core of my being and to uncover who I am. Notice, the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirits and joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word there where it says sharper than a two-edged sword, it's a little hard to translate. Normally that word, and there's there's overlap in this period, but originally this particular word for sword, they had two different words for sword. One's for like the big sword, like you'd use in warfare. The other one was for like a little dagger or a surgeon's knife. This is the dagger surgeon knife word. Now, it can be used in the New Testament for a big sword as well. So you can't guarantee, but the, here's the big point. Whichever you have, this is sharper than any sword or any scalpel, if you want to use that phrase, could ever be. This thing is sharp. There is no protection against this sword or scalpel or dagger. It will penetrate through anything. And notice he specifies soul and spirit, joints and marrow. He's not talking about different things, like the key to the Christian life is to figure out what's your soul and your spirit. That's not a New Testament idea, actually. And you can't separate joints and marrow. They're not even the same part. The part is this. However you consider a human being, the Word of God can penetrate through to the core of that person. There is no place your thoughts can run and hide. Your intentions can run and hide. My deep hidden things can be away. No, the Word of God will penetrate through all of that, cut it all away, and leave it all exposed and open. And so notice he says what it does is it discerns, or the word is most often translated judges, it's revealing the thoughts and intents that are going on down inside of us. See, now, here's where, remember what I said earlier. God doesn't need the Scripture to figure out what's going on inside your heart and mine. He already knows. But you see, I'm very good at hiding from you and eventually hiding from me what's going on down inside. See, this is, it's a scary thing, isn't it? I can get so used to hiding my thoughts and intents from other people, pretty soon I don't even realize what my own thoughts and intents are. But God's Word can penetrate through and discern what those things are, judge what those things are, reveal what those things are. Not to God, He already knows, but to me. They can lay it open before me. And so God's Word is living. It's active. It's sharp enough to penetrate to the depths of my being, to slice away my false coverings, and reveal and judge my true thoughts and intents. Now, if you're honest and I'm honest, that's a scary proposition. Because what do we all like to do? 
See, I can identify with Adam and Eve. I immediately want to make coverings, and I immediately want to hide. And we want to do that from God, and we even want to do that from ourselves. Have you ever had something happen where suddenly you said something or you did something and you realized something about yourself that was not good, that maybe you didn't even know was there? And then you look back on that and, and immediately start trying to construct around it why I said that and it's not really who I was. See, we're all expert at that. But God says, I've given my word and it penetrates and it slices through all that because you need to see yourself as you are. I already do. You need to see it. So really this word is a gift to us but it's a gift that's scary to you and me. So, how do we apply this? What does this mean for us? What would the writer to Hebrews want us to do, and what should we do? Well, there's two questions uh, that, that come out of this, or actually one question and one action. The first one is, do I receive God's penetrating word, or am I over in the bushes? Okay? And if you remember, just by way, we can go back to that thing in the garden. How did God get Adam and Eve out of the bushes? Did he put his hand down there and pull them out of the bushes? What did he do? He spoke. He sent his word, and he called them out. So they did hear, and they did respond. Are we going to hear and respond? So God is speaking, and he is speaking through his word to you and me. The question is, Am I listening? And there's two ways in particular I want to focus on us asking ourselves if we're receiving the Word of God. Number one, am I receiving God's written Word daily? I go back to the verse that started this section in Hebrews, Hebrews 3, 7, and 8. Notice what the writer says. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, current tense, today... If you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. It's present tense, and it's daily. It's every day. This is God's written word because he's quoting Psalm 95. So we don't have to debate what he's talking about. This is Psalm 95 he is quoting. You can go back and look it up. Psalm 95, 7 through 11. The Spirit is currently speaking to every one of us today. It's like, you know, radio waves are all bouncing around this room right now, but we're not picking them up, are we? See, because we're not tuned into them. God, tomorrow, His voice is going to be ringing out of your Bible. It's like rumbling around there wanting to speak to you. The question is, will I open it up and tune in? The Holy Spirit will be speaking. Will I be listening? Will I open up and recognize He's doing this today? So I don't really care that you tell me you received the Word of God at time X in the past. Are you hearing the Spirit today? Today. God shows us this over and over and over again. You remember when Jesus is tempted in the wilderness and He likens the manna to the Word of God. We live by the Word of God. How often did you get manna? Daily. What happens if you tried to keep manna across the day? It was full of maggots. Literally. You know what it's like if you try and live off of yesterday's Word from the Holy Spirit? Okay, who here wants a big old bowl full of maggots? Okay, it's, it's a graphic picture God is giving us. You need it daily. I need it daily. Are we opening up and hearing the Word of God? Do I have a steady diet of the penetrating Word of God coming into me to speak? If your answer to that is yes, amen, awesome. Keep it up. God bless, keep doing that. I'm not going to try and convince you that the answer is no. If you're doing it, then do it. Amen, be there. If you're not, then start tomorrow. If you need to, just start reading Hebrews. Find out about how awesome Jesus is. 
Read back through this. But open the Word of God, and as you do so, pray and say, Speak, Lord. Holy Spirit of the living God, speak to me. This is your Word. Brett might be right. Brett might be wrong. I might hear some other radio preacher. He might be right. He might be wrong. But when I open this, you are speaking. Give me ears to hear. Open up and do it. Read a few verses or a few paragraphs. Pray and ask the Spirit to speak to you. This is not about trying to read 20 chapters. This is saying, I want to I hear a word. The Holy Spirit here spoke with four verses. And the writer to Hebrews keeps twisting it and turning it and thinking over it. He does this with Psalm 110, verse 1, number of times in the epistle. Take it, read it, let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Ask Him, how does this apply to me? What are you saying to me today, O God? So don't rush through. Let the Holy Spirit turn it over and speak to you. Am I doing that? Number two that is part of this is, am I receiving God's Word as it's preached when we gather? Now, if you've heard me much before, you know I always tell you, you've got to test everything I'm saying. But I want you to understand, there is a sense in which the preached Word of God, God speaks through that to us in a very powerful manner. I told you a couple minutes ago, there's only one other time that the phrase Word of God is used in the book of Hebrews, and notice how it's used. Hebrews 13, 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the Word of God of God. Now this is not the people who wrote Scripture. They are taking the Scripture and they are preaching it. They are proclaiming it. We today have an issue. I read a lot of stuff about the church and people don't want to hear this. They, they want to think, well, we like just sitting in a circle and talking with each other. There is a place for that. But that is not the only way that we grow. We need somebody who is called and gifted and anointed and studies and proclaims the Word of God. Do not go to a place that does not have that. It is imperative in our day that somebody does it. And it's important that what they do is bring the Word of God. You don't need 40 little stories out of my life and 12 different jokes and all kinds of things. And somewhere in there, there was a Bible verse. That is not important. I do something that is very weird according to most preachers. And that is, if you notice, I don't start with a little story and then say, now open your Bibles. What do we start with every week? Hear the Word of God. Because you know what? It doesn't matter what I think. That does not matter. I am no different than you. Being a, an elder in the church does not make me right on anything. The Word of God is true. And we need someone who will give themselves to proclaiming the Word of God. Line upon line, studying it, working through, explaining it. It is hard work. But we have to have that. God works and He brings us to us. It's the only other time it's used there in Hebrews. And it's clearly saying you are gathered together and there are men who stand up and they are speaking God's Word. They are opening up the Scripture and explaining it. Remember that. Hold on to that. So when the Word is being accurately proclaimed by those He's called anointed, God says that is my Word coming forth. Now, I remind you, it always has to be tested. But we see this over and over again in the New Testament. Notice in 1 Peter chapter 1, I quoted it a few minutes ago, for the Word of God being living and active. Notice how he writes in this whole section. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. For, notice here he's quoting the Old Testament, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower fails, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. It's the Old Testament written word, but Peter says it came to you. It was preached to you and you went from dead to alive. 
You were born again by the Word of God that is living and it abides. And so when somebody opened up and said, this is what Isaiah said in chapter 40, God spoke to you through that and you were born again. Friends, we need that in our lives. Peter's talking about the same thing that is talking about in the book of Hebrews. Now again, remind, Acts 17, 11, this is the, there's, I want to make sure we understand the distinction. When I read the Scripture, you're not sitting there judging. If you are, you're wrong. You're just sitting there receiving. When I'm preaching, you need to be checking. Acts 17, 11 says this. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the Word with all eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily. Notice again, daily to see if these things were so. So notice here what they do. Paul is preaching, and how do they receive the word? Eagerly. They are hungry. They believe God is going to speak. They are eager to do it, but they then go home. They open the scripture every day, and they verify that what Paul said lines up with what they know is the Word of God. This is what you and I are called to do. It is a model for us. They personally examine the written Word to make sure the preached Word lines up with the written Word. So here's how we ask ourselves that question. Do I gather with the church weekly to receive the preached Word? If you don't eat regularly, what happens to your body? It gets weak. If you don't get into the Word every day, your spirit is going to get weak. And if you do not regularly gather with the church for the preaching of the Word, it will affect you. Because it is how God has ordained as a way to speak to us. So do I gather with the church weekly to receive the preached Word? It's not an optional nice-to-have. It is critical for the health of my very soul. Do I do that? Secondly, when I gather, do I come eager to hear and receive God's Word, knowing it has the power to convict, encourage, equip, and change me? One of the questions in this week's Discussion guide and devotional guide is can you remember a time when God spoke to you through both the written word and the preached word? I can remember a time a number of years ago. I was sitting at a conference and John Piper had just come through cancer and survived. And he was preaching and you literally could hear all the pastors in there taking notes. It was click, 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 click. And the more Piper preached, the less clicking until it all stopped. And I have rarely in my life felt the weight of the glory of God as I did at that moment. And we sat there and we received the Word of God. As a man who said, I've just spent the last year staring death in the face. And I want you, I mean, his words were basically, I want you to smell the flames of hell and taste the glory of heaven right now. That's my goal. That's what I want you to get. And brother and sister, we were. Do you have memories of that? Are you open to receiving that and letting God work? Because God changes. His word is powerful and effective. And too often in the church today, we downplay the Word of God. As if something else is going to have that power. But friends, it doesn't. Now, what this means to us, because if we are honest, again, I want to go back. The point in this text is that, that God uncovers us as this happens. I have been there when the Lord spoke to me, both in preaching and in reading the Word, when I realized I was exposed and it's a scary thing and I want to change the subject. I'm like the woman at the well. Hey, I've got a theology question, Jesus. Can we go over this right now? And he's very good at batting those away and coming back in. 
But see, this is why the writer to Hebrews noticed where he goes. Because, friend, the answer is not us hiding and doing that. It's recognizing, number one, you and I are going to give account. So we need to stop the silliness. We are going to stand there. Notice in Hebrews 4.13 how it ends. No creature is hidden from his sight. All are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Now, this is hard. There's a little bit of wordplay going on in Greek because the Greek word for account is logos, which is the word for word. Every one of you and me, you have received the word of God. And one day, you are going to stand in front of his piercing gaze, everything uncovered, and he's going to say, give me your word of account for what you did with my word I gave to you. I spoke to you, speak back to me. And there will be no hiding, friend. There will be no hiding at all. If that doesn't scare you, you're either A, not understanding me, or you're a fool. It's a scary, scary thought. How do we think we're going to do it? Because let me tell you something. The answer is not. My job is trying to receive the word, and I don't look forward to giving account because I know there are times I play with it. I know there are times I take it for granted. How am I going to stand there? Notice where the writer to Hebrews goes. To Christ, our great high priest. Verses 14 to 16. So he said, you're going to give account. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. See, when you hear this, we want to change the subject. We want to do something. The writer to Hebrews says, no, because what the word always does is point you back to Christ, the great high priest. So that you know it's not, well, I was a good boy and I did enough quiet times and I think I'm okay. No, I know day after day after day I am reminded. Day after day I'm exposed and I see I need the great high priest. And thanks be to God I have one. And he is not weak like the ones in the Old Testament. Once for all, good enough for me. And he stands there, and so I don't even come cowering into the presence of God. I am not wearing fig leaves. I am not hiding in the bushes. I walk in, clothed in Christ, boldly to the throne of grace. Because it's not a throne of judgment anymore. It's a throne of grace. And so when God exposes us, and the neck is back, and I am naked It is for my good. Friends, he doesn't need to do that. He already knew. Man, I have uncovered sins and been like, oh, Lord. And then God's like, that's been there for the longest time. All the times you came in and thought you were doing so well, that was there. And I loved you anyway. And Christ was enough. But let me cut that away. Because it's cancerous. It's not good for you. It's not who you are. And so, friends, we come to not a throne of judgment, but a throne of grace. And it's why it reminds us, this is why there's law and there's gospel. And if the law is not pointing us to the gospel, we are not doing our job. I remind you again, because some of you are going to have to move on and be other places Always make sure. It is easy for me to stand up here and preach law and make everybody else feel guilty. Which is foolishness because I should feel as guilty as everyone else. And number two, my job is to get to gospel. You need to know there's a great high priest. So notice the writer goes there. I don't have to turn and look 28 verses later. It's the next verse. When you've seen what God has done, when you see the penetrating nature of the Word of God, the next thing is look up at your high priest. We come to a throne 
of grace. So God's final word over you and me is Christ. The eternal word of God, the great high priest who has borne the wrath of God, all the judgment of God, so that you come for grace. Now with that, we're going to come to the table of grace. And we are going to receive from what God says to us. And I want to encourage you and ask you today, come openly before the Lord to receive. In a, in a moment when I'm praying, I'm going to be praying out of Psalm 139, which is a great psalm of David where David is pouring out and saying, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know everything about me. As we are praying this, pray together with me and let's be opened before our Father. Let God's word reveal. Let God's high priest cover. Let God's spirit take it away from us by the blood and the body of Christ. If you're not a member here, you are welcome to join with us. If you understand exactly what I'm saying, your only hope is a high priest. Jesus, you have no hope apart from him. If you believe the gospel, that Christ has lived and died and been raised for us and for our salvation, it's by broken body and shed blood, then you are welcome to join with us as we uh, come together. And again, always, as always, if you need gluten-free, just raise your hand in a minute and we will bring it to you. Other than that, let's come to the table and receive grace and mercy to give us help in our time of need. For what I received from the Lord, I pass on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out so that all of your sins may be forgiven. Drink from this, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Lord, we thank you that our hope and our standing is on the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, as you speak currently through your word, so now come and speak and meet us at this sacramental table. By the power of your Holy Spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, as you get the elements, please hold on to them. We will take them together in just three or four minutes. Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O oh Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. And Lord, I confess that in the face of your piercing gaze and full knowledge, I am tempted to run and hide, enticed to try and cover my own sin. But your word has exposed these thoughts and intents. And like Isaiah, I am undone. Awed by your glory, aware of my sin, and humbled by your grace. So I take this bread, the body of Christ broken for me, confessing my sins and professing my faith in your mercy. Take and eat. Lord, when I consider my sin and your full knowledge of me, 
Not only my outward deeds, but my inward disposition and secret thoughts. I am filled with fear, for I know that I have failed, and my deeds deserve only the strictest judgment and wrath. But then I lift my eyes, and I see Jesus, my great high priest, who sympathizes with my weaknesses and yet never sinned, and who offered himself in my place, and now, at this moment, intercedes for me before the throne of God. Lord, when I do this, I take heart, and I approach your throne of grace with confidence, knowing that I will receive mercy and find grace greater than all of my sin. For his blood is more than sufficient to purify me from all unrighteousness and to secure my place before you for now and for all eternity. So Lord, I take the cup of Christ and I give you thanks and I receive it in faith. Friends, take and drink. Friends, let's stand and cry out to God's Spirit together. Holy Spirit, there is nowhere apart from your presence. If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your right hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb so that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You saw and knew me before I was born, while my body was still being formed. All my days were written in your book before even one of them came to be. And so, now, I call upon you, the one who is always with me, to come and fill and empower me so that I might be conformed to the image of my Lord Jesus Christ, that I might desire and follow Him, so that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in Your sight, O Lord. I ask this in the name of Jesus, my rock and my Redeemer. And God's people say, Amen. 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 Friends, now I commit you to God and the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified through Jesus Christ our Lord. Go in His blessing. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.